Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Free Devs and Maybe. I'm Michael Budd, and I'm joined today by the delectable, I don't know what that means, Fraser Hart. How you doing? Hello. All right, you? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Not I'm too Googling too that bad. word. I have to Google that word. Be, I hope it's a compliment, because if it's not, I'm disconnecting straight away. <laughs> I don't know it's a word, to be honest. Delectable, delectable is delicious. Oh, it means I'm delicious, yeah. Extremely attractive. There we yeah, go. Yeah, Lovely. Well, there that. you go. The delectable nice. Miss Davis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've both Googled that word right there. I know, yeah, it's just <laughs> on the top of Google, yeah. yeah. Uh, Delectable uh, handmade chocolate, sorry. Uh, yeah, hi, Mickey. I'm Ed. Uh, I'm just completely... Yeah, Ed. Yeah, Ed. sorry, just yeah. Ed. I, I'm, I'm not delectable, you know. I'm not a delectable handmade chocolate, no. How are you doing? All right, uh, how are you? Yeah. Very good, very good. How are you doing, Fraser? I'm fine, mate, yeah. it's it, It's been quite a, a quick turnaround for another episode, hasn't it? Because I've not been on for months what it felt like and then i was on when was it thursday that we recorded or wednesday i think it was so, thursday yeah yeah so twice in like what four days five days look at that look oh, at new that. year and all that you know, resolutions but yeah yeah oh, sorry my mic just fell over there uh yeah but yeah doing all good <laughs> thanks mate how was your weekend not bad uh, not bad at all how about yours mickey you you were at a what was it on saturday you were at you were at a house a build your own home exhibition type thing Completely yeah, program related. Of course, yeah. There was actually, there was like a programming company there who like did like, I guess like CAD stuff or something like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, that was pretty, yeah, like one of my dreams in life was um, was to build my own home. Obviously, that's, I wouldn't do that now. Not I hate to say you may have a house. One. Yeah, I think you've just yeah, gone yeah. through. Just, yeah, just, just exactly. destroy it. Just, you know, yeah, exactly. Demolish the place you've got now, you know, you've already set it all up, done all that work and start again. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe an extension or something. So uh, yeah, yeah that was that was pretty cool. And then I was uh, working all day Sunday, unfortunately. But um, there we go. That's the life of a freelancer, I guess. So yeah, uh, how, yeah. how are you balancing it out then? Do you, you say you're working weekends as well? Do you, do you not? Do you yeah. try and keep like hours within like a, a day, or do you kind of work as and when? I think because I've just started doing this, I kind of said to myself that for six months I would just work pretty much seven days a week. Yep. Wow. So. Oh. Um, and I'd, I'd try and like you know make sure putting like a date night in there with uh, with Abby and stuff and uh, yeah do all my you know dad duties and stuff but yeah as much as possible just work as much as I can just to try and get some money behind me and uh, in case there's any rainy months but um, hopefully not but there we go that's cool man How about, uh, and how's uh, the pro- uh, project going the uh, the big one um, the stats okay one. so that's that's going all right um, but yeah I was just thinking saying to you and just. So I mentioned it to Fraser that I had a massive issue with this query that um, so I, I sort of realised that there was a problem there about a week ago, and I just had got back to fixing it today. It's a really weird issue where like um, the query is really really fast if it knew there was results there, but if I had like a situation where um, everyone knows like the you know the where in SQL command where you pass an array of integers or whatever and say if it's in this bring these mm-hmm. back. So if I had that and some of those array elements. Where, where there, and some weren't. Then the query would just literally would just go through the whole table and and have it's a look. Go into secret scan, and then you just 
crying yeah. at how long it takes because you your data set yeah. you're dealing with is huge isn't it oh yeah i mean i mean to be honest while i'm deving i've cut it down to 50 million but it's still so huge and uh yeah i was just playing i was just i really went back to basics and i just started reading up about joins again like inner joins and outer joins and full joins and cross joins and i really was i couldn't work out what was going on because really um yeah it was just just bizarre i mean on the ones where i knew there wasn't any results you know it was literally it would go to the first table there was no results but it would still then go and try and join on other tables i was like well you know there's nothing there why are you trying to join the query planner the dreaded query planner going hey i think that's yeah it's funny you mentioned the joins and stuff because i do think my sequel only provides you with a subset of the joins you kind of can get that are kind of available in say like postgres or sql server and things like that so you do kind of get open yeah you get open to a whole new world of these different types of joins and it's a bit like whoa yeah but i i didn't know that you could do like multiple criteria on a on a join statement so i was like when i was reading up on google so i can stack over everywhere and then someone was like well you know take it out your where statement and put it onto your your join so then i was like well okay so i want to join this on this um, and then f- fl- filter and, it based on something else or something, yeah, yeah, and that, and that suddenly went from this like four minute query down to like zero point six seconds, I think it was. Wow. So it is funny though with that because of the because of the query planner, um, and like explain analyze becomes your best friend because of being able to work out. But that yeah, I, I found I, I should put in the show notes actually a couple of good blog posts on it because when you do do an explain analyze for the first time, it does look foreign and alien. It doesn't yeah. look the most, you know, and you can, you can kind of get around it a bit, kind of get away with it with looking through and just finding certain keywords and being like, oh, secret scan isn't nice. And there's actually a good online tool for Postgres where you can actually pass, um, you just copy in your, your explain analyze dump and it will give you a nice output of it. Um, oh, really? I'll put that in the show notes as well, which give you, I just remembered it now off the top of it, like kind of just yes, thinking. I, say, wow, yeah. thanks, I know I haven't actually mentioned this to you off air. Sorry about that. Yeah. I thought I'd save it the podcast, you know, you go through the yeah. pain and then it's the podcast you get, you know, the benefit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, no, this is a really good website actually. I just remembered that it does actually do these kind of things. I haven't used it in a while, but yeah, no, that's your, yeah. I'll put that in show notes and send it to you as well. Or maybe I'll make you wait for the show notes. Ooh. <laughs> that could be interesting. That's just mean, though. Um, but no, so, the, the, you know, this is the trouble. I and mean, we were talking, started talking about it, didn't we, Mick, before, you know, before starting to show you that kind of like the query planner is a really weird thing because it's such a black box that, you know, we, we were joke. I joked about, you know, a thing my boss um, had last week where, you know, it's limiting by one and limiting by a thousand. And then the query planner would decide to do a different route and it wouldn't use the indexes and stuff. And you're having this issue where, you know, if you say like you do it on something that, you know, you've got heuristics on the data. So, you know, something about the data. Once you know something yeah. about the data, you can then do a different query on it and stuff like that. And then obviously the speed gains. But you kind of yeah. the trouble is, is you can't really do that. You need this kind of consistent, you know, result. And I think the problem is, is that because you don't control, because of, it's almost like, I'm kind of thinking it's like SQL is a declarative language and it's quite high level because it's just, it's really beautiful in that you just tell it what you want. And, you know, it's very easy and it's, it's such a good abstraction on that level. And, you know, like, you know, it's kind of, you know, there's obviously the standard base on, you know, SQL server and all all of these databases use the same SQL, even though there's a couple of things, but, you know, you use the same common syntax and then each engine then obviously passes it and decides which paths to go down and stuff like that. The trouble is, is that 
when you get into these big data sets like you are dealing with now, you actually probably want more fine grain control over what's going yeah. on. Like you actually yeah. want to say, no, use this index. I know yeah. you should use this index. Like don't have to aid it. It almost feels, I don't know whether I'm right in thinking that that's the only way you can do it. I don't know whether you may be able to kind of aid and say, look, I want you to be using this. Whereas what you what it does feel like you're doing is just trying to tame it and trying to be like, you know, kind of massaging it a bit, which sounds a bit weird, but, you know, kind of into the right yeah. way, like saying like, oh, no, you really want to go down this route. And by that, I'm having to tweak the query, even if it makes it look completely unreadable, just so I can kind of force you to go down, you know, in this query that for this specific, you know, database engine, go down this query path. And it may change because if you change the limit on it, it would completely do a different one. So it is interesting where Oh, and it's funny how I've only kind of just realized like this kind of pain with databases. And I think it's probably because I've been doing more with them because, uh, you know, back in like our old job and stuff, you know, through, you know, kind of working that kind of in that domain really is kind of like it is crud stuff and it is just persistence. And you don't, and we really had do Jez much. that we could go to as well. That well was that's it. Exactly. So I'm struggling with SUL query, like quick email to Jez. It'll come back in five minutes. Yeah. He perfect. was really good at that actually, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. That Cause he had a job for a number of years working as a, just a, an SQL developer. If that's, that's right. Yeah. Database or something or other. And, and while, yeah. I've, while I've kind of paused, paused there as well, yeah. can I ask like a bit of an elementary question? Like for, you know, a, a friend, um, what's, what's the query planner? <laughs> oh, uh, so essentially so what happens that's uh, honestly like this is the funny thing right is that i didn't know about it until the, this year when i was starting like you know doing really hardcore stuff at my, at my current job yeah you know kind of looking into this stuff so essentially so you've got your sequel and what happens from there is that then gets converted down and brains of it the query planner essentially works out what it should do and what how okay. it should actually go so it's that it's almost like the implementation you really don't write how it does it you write what you want it to do which is that declarative format of saying i want you to select this yeah. it does you don't say to it how to select it so the query planner goes along and it does all the clever stuff of saying all right well this is our data these are our indexes this is the query you want how what is the most optimum in quotes you know way of getting this yeah. The trouble is, is that you're the best person to know in some regards of that stuff. Now, it's mm-hmm. nice most of the time to leave it to the query planner. But as we kind of bring up, you know, you get these issues where you kind of do find that you're kind of beating your head against, you know, a brick wall with it where you're like, I don't know why it's deciding to go down that path all this query. Yeah. And, and what you have to do is tweak the query, you know, and maybe write it in a slightly different way just so the query planner, which is the brains of working it out, is deciding, oh, yeah, no, actually, I will choose the way you want. Because if you okay. do an explain analyze on it, explain analyze just shows you the path or like the way it's going to be building up the query. So, you know, it's going to be doing like selects on this. It's going to be, you know, doing a, a it's like sequence scans or an index based search on this. And it's how it's going to build up the query. Um, there's many ways of being able to, in, in typical, when you get into quite advanced SQL, there's loads of ways it can go and decide what to do. And, you know, obviously the, the thing is, is that, you know, that query planner is, is optimized for the generic case. It's not optimized just for your case. So you, you really, I, I was just thinking like, would it be, it would be quite nice if you could actually more, uh, give more aid to the query planner on like saying that I really want you to go down this route instead. But, you know, as Mickey was saying, like, you know, you've, I mean, I don't know, you've had some more issues as well. Like, was, so is, is it all based on this one data set you're currently suffering with, Mick? Or is it kind of, have you had a couple of issues around, like, kind of this area? Um, no, no. I mean, that's been the main sort of issue. I mean, obviously, quite a few things I've had to get used to, like, um, like I've been using the, uh, 
by a data type for um, storing IP addresses and stuff. I'm still not 100% sure if I'm doing the best thing there because I've been searching, but like having to cast that back as text to search. Um, so I think there's a lot of things I'm probably doing wrong at the minute. But yeah, I mean, most of the stuff that I'm having problems with, I think is just because I don't know enough about Postgres rather than, you know, me blaming Postgres for stuff. But uh, but no, I, I left before phrase, but I, yeah, I, I exactly same as you. I had no idea what the query planner was either. To be honest, you just, with you. I mean, because we just essentially you give SQL to the database, it yeah. does the hard work of working it out, and it's only when you actually get these, you know, you have these queries that you want optimum performance from, and you realise, oh, we're going slow. Because uh, I mean, well, this was the thing. So when, when I eventually learned when we went, you know, where we worked at our previous company, oh, indexes. Mm. Okay, you get a slow query, yeah. just add an index to it, and it will go quick yeah. again. And then yes. you realize, oh, it doesn't only work like that. Or because in the MySQL days, it was, it, you know, using that, it was just like, that's, you only got an index and that was it. Yeah. Then you go to Postgres yeah. and you've got these other indexes where you can do like partial indexing and you can index yeah. on certain areas and stuff, which makes it even more advanced. And then you got, then you have to go down the query planner route of actually being like, okay, I need to look at how this query is actually being generated and built up and actually run. Um, and then that's when you get into this fun game of trying to play with this black box that is the query planner. But no, I think I think that's one thing actually this week I really want to do is to kind of look into kind of is there ways of being able to go in? Because I know that you can, with um, Postgres, there's really good bindings for things like writing stuff in their PSQL language, their Postgres SQL language. And also uh, even in like JavaScript and stuff. So I don't know whether you can write, it's almost like writing SQL queries that then have maybe aided by code a little bit to help you kind of decide what to choose within the query planner. But I don't know whether that's possible or not. And you just kind of do have Mm. to go through this kind of a knowing, because I do think you've just become very familiar with what's good for that database. Because I know that in my SQL terms, like in a more generic case, which is my SQL, I was like, oh, never do inner selects. Inner selects are bad. Yeah. Always do joins. Always do a join. Always do a join. Always do a join. If you can do a join, do a join over an inner select. Well, actually, in Postgres, I find it's the opposite way, where actually inner yeah. selects is actually sometimes better. Doing a select within a query is better than like because it seems to like produce a better query plan as opposed yeah. to what would be better for my SQL. So it's a fun game. It's a fun game you play True. with databases. It's only yeah. happened. I mean, it's happening with you, obviously, because you're dealing with like millions and millions of rows at the moment. That's insane. Yeah. So, how many do you, do you think you're going to be dealing with in total when that's all all said and done? I think the live data set at the minute has about 190 million records. Wow. And obviously, I need to future proof that. So, when I first yeah. started playing with it, I doubled it to about 400 million. Okay. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's challenging to be honest with you. How much space but, incident uh, does that take up on disk? That like that much data. Well, it's interesting you ask, but basically a lot. But I got like a dedicated DigitalOcean box, which literally right. just put this Postgres server on there. Yeah, and I think when I had 190 million records on there, it was it took up about 30 gig. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, a lot basically. And I know I can't really tell you know discuss much about the client, but mm-hmm. I know their live server they've they've got I think it's two terabyte. Uh, disk on on that server, right? So yeah, it's it's. So do you think you'll host it on a DigitalOcean box when it goes live, or will you yeah, go elsewhere? Yeah. Like yeah, oh cool. Yeah, I did. Uh, who was it? I was looking at um, Heroku at one point. Yep. Uh, I was looking at them because they seem you know they're really experts on Postgres and stuff, and yep. uh, and they just manage that that for you. And you know, I think they'll you know if you need more performance, whatever they'll they'll scale it up for you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh-huh. 
But to be honest with you, when I was playing with the huge numbers like the 400 million, uh, sorry, the 190 million, that was working quite nicely. Admittedly, yep. I don't think I've really tested it on everything that it's going to do. Um, yeah. Because it, I mean, essentially, the searches on it are going to be, yeah, very, very fine grained. Like, you know, you'll be able to say, oh, search for something on this day, you know, from right. this IP address. And it, it, yeah, I have no idea at the minute, but I've, I'll try and do it with DigitalOcean. Obviously, it'll be a much um, better box than what I've got at the minute. But um, I'm yep. hoping, I take it with DigitalOcean, you can just. Based up to the spec yeah. on your yeah. so that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's nice. You can kind of just do the slider, can't you? And yeah. I think with that, you just it needs a lot of RAM. Like RAM, like yeah, a lot of the, RAM. Th- the trouble yeah. is, is once you hit disk, even if it's SSD, it's still slower than RAM. So yeah. Yeah. your indexes all need to be in RAM to get that performance. You know, where you've got good indexes, like not wasteful indexes, good you know concrete indexes that do the job and, and you know are really getting used a lot. Uh, which yeah. then you can use because as you say like getting a, like a, a 30 gig or more i mean ram is actually you can get a lot of ram um but you know like having like say two terabytes of data as long as you've got i mean it goes into where you're like you really need a lot of ram then for the indexes to be able to it doesn't have to go and yeah. hit the hard drive or the ssd yeah, yeah, yeah. which is going to then slow it down a lot more um yeah. but it's funny because in stuff like that then you can kind of think maybe and it this is where it comes into pre-optimization but kind of can you kind of aggregate data and maybe kind of like you know pre-compute stuff you know where you know yeah. like these reports and things like daily is it is it maybe you, you can kind of think oh is it beneficial for me maybe to be generating these reports uh you know daily long you know kind of in an asynchronous queue in the background you know per day that have like yeah. reports so you don't have to hit the database and do those queries you know maybe each time they dynamically want them they've already got a pre-computed cached version or things like that i mean these yeah. are these are but this is the trouble this is where it gets harder and harder because you yeah. know it's really great being able to and it's it's the most beneficial thing if you can just compute it dynamically at that time it's the best yeah. thing because you've got that and you've got the snapshot yeah. and it's fine at that time whereas having yeah. these computed pre-computed in the you know kind of you know uh, generated b- beforehand this is something i made earlier i don't know whether that's changed or not um yeah. but maybe for maybe for daily based stuff you know like timeline stuff say like you know did this happen you know once the days passed maybe you can just do snapshots and kind of do these projections and things on it and cache those projections absolutely yeah i think you're right. but i think one of the things i've benefit- benefited from is actually having a poor spec box because because i think what could have been very tempting would have been like oh this query slow let's quadruple the ram and then you never really would have got to the bottom of the problem you just been throwing that's a really you good know, point. resources at it so actually doing it this way just squeezing every bit of performance you can then when you do scale up then you know that's you're really be good better. point yeah because you're 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 essentially trying to limit yourself because you're, yeah. you're dealing with the yeah because i mean like at the moment you've got as you say you, the easy way is for you just to go scale up but yeah. eventually you're going to be scaling up to a point where now you can't optimize it you know like the the queries you've already made are so unoptimized then you have to yeah. deal with that at that time whereas now if you're dealing with those problems now it makes it easier and it's cheaper i mean essentially because if you're going to be having to you know kind of be managing and they'll be fronting the bill for these boxes you know, you yeah. do want the best performance you can get out of the cheapest box possible. You know, you, you want to be able to just give them, this is the exact amount of RAM that you really yeah. want, you know, and things like that, and be yeah. able to tweak yeah. it as, and such. Yeah. I've got um, a couple of things I wouldn't mind mentioning if that's all right with you guys. Absolutely, so like, yeah, go ahead. Hog the mic. but uh, no, so the 
first one, um, I think I mentioned this ages ago, and Ed was like, is this another thing that you're like plugging and you've not actually used? And I was like... You're never yes. like that, not you. I know. It's not me, right? No. But, so I think I mentioned uh, Let's Encrypt ages ago. But in my defense, I don't think they'd had actually I saw a tweet of from you today. So I can I can cl- clarify, yes, you have used this I product have used now. It. Thank you. So yeah, it is now like a live service and um, basically like I know like during my like university studies and stuff, like we had to like do self uh, certifying certificates and stuff, self signing certificates. And but obviously the downside of that was it wasn't really a trusted certificate or anything like that mm-hmm. and it it was yeah. But anyway, let's encrypt. Um, you do you just pull down like this Git repo? So I pulled it down straight down onto my um, distribution box, and then it's like a one command, and it will create the certificate for you. Wow! And then it'll tell you where all the certificates are. So then you can actually just go cool. into your conf.d file and just say, okay, this is where the keys are. Does it does it actually give you the boom. configurations and stuff as well for the like servers, or do you have to Google around yeah. for all that? It no, gives it you it all. For you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is really cool. It's amazing. So, yeah, if you like, go to. I'm not deliberately plugging this now, but if you look at michaelbud.co.uk, you'll see it's now got the uh, you know nice padlock on there and stuff. Yeah, and it, you know, it looks nice. But uh, and how long does it take yeah. to set all that up? Because I've got a couple of clients that are kind of they've, they've been asking about SSL certificates. Well, I say oh, they have been. This is like going back a year or so, and I kind of dissuaded them from doing it because of the costs yeah. involved and, and the kind of upsides yeah. and downsides and stuff. But how long? Did that take to set up in, in, in its okay. entirety? No word of a lie. Ten minutes. Wow. So They've really done a good job, it. haven't they? Man. It's brilliant. It's absolutely... They've taken something that was really fiddly before, yeah, and now it's just so painless. And if you just come amazing. up with a blue screen, it'll say, you know, enter your email address, enter that uh-huh. in, and it just creates the certificates for you. Just well. done. So, awesome. yeah. Because I know you were mentioning today, like when you're going through it, and you, it, it, so yeah. it gives you it gives you like kind of the basic SSL, doesn't it? Uh, in certificate, yeah. which is the yeah. one where they can author it, like they automatically give it to you based yeah. on, and you have to. I think do you have to provide? Do you have to do any like domain, like anything to prove that that's your domain? Like do you have to no. do anything? Like you didn't have to do anything. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Oh, no, I think what it does do, to be fair, um, like so, you give it, you pass a domain, and then it does it does some sort of DNS check. Because right. I did try it with like, I just had a site that I was just literally viewing via, via the IP. I didn't, I, there's no domain pointing to it at the moment. Uh-huh. And I tried to just put some dummy thing in there and it said no failed yeah. because it, so it, it does kind of have to check. It, it does like its own check. Cause I know yeah. that some of them, like the free ones and actually just yeah. some of the auto ones, what they do <laughs> is they make you so you have to like maybe put in like a domain record or something like an A record or a, like a C name record or something for them to yeah. say, oh right. yeah, you do actually own that domain. Which is good, uh, you know. And I think, but the nice thing is, is and and this is the problem with all these like free certificates, all, all certificates in general, is like they're great. And it's this is the problem with self-assigned ones. Is the problem yeah. is they're not actually so. It's the certificate chain within the brow, like within each browser, they all have their own certificate chains, like you know, ones that are valid, which allow you know, like I trust this site, I trust these sites, and this is the yeah. certificate I trust. Yeah. It seems that the Let's Encrypt ones are like perfectly valid. Like Chrome allows them. Yeah. I, I, we try. I mean, I tried it in Safari and then Firefox, so it seems to be great. I mean, the only thing is, is it does. I mean, this is the one thing where this is where you then want to go for a paid solution It's maybe when you're talking about like say clients and stuff is that they can have a free one and a free one's great. It's going to give you that, that trust that, you know, it's now secure, um, you know, which, which is the, you know, the security between the two, the end point, you know, but the issue is there is the, 
because it's two things SSL it's the security of that but it's also the identification it's kind of like the authentication that this is the same this is the person I wanted to talk to um, yeah. and and what you get that's called an extended validation certificate and that's what gives you that green you know the nice green bar where it says oh this is whoever yeah. you know yeah. um you don't get that with these certificates that those ones need to be probably you probably end up having to pay because what uh, they do uh, like billing checks and things like that we have to po- uh, like send off you know certificates like or document any like kind of uh proof that you are that's the company you're working for that's yeah etc like that so uh, it's fine I, I think actually to be honest if you like with clients i think they would be fine with you know it depends like i mean look you're giving it for free i mean you're getting x you know ssl i mean this is the trouble though is everyone says you have to use ssl but it's such a ball ache to set up and it costs so much people don't want to do it and this is making it easy i mean i know there was a company that we had at our our previous place where they they actually already had bought an ssl certificate and um they decided yeah we want to really want to use it and we spent ages trying to set it up on our box now the trouble is is that I think this was this was having to support something like IE6 as well. The trouble uh-huh. is, is the newer browsers allow you to have multiple. They, they do it on. A, I can't remember what the technical is, but they allow you to have multiple certificates for different virtual hosts. Because you know the, the the nice thing we use is we yeah. have the same IP address but different virtual hosts, and it gives you back something different, so you can share yeah. the same server. Old certificates and old browsers, I think I'm right. I think is that they didn't don't allow you to use different. Um, I, like the IP address is the unique thing. So you'd have to have a different IP address as well. So you'd have to have another IP address pointing to the same box if you wanted multiple, you know, each each SSL certificate would have to have this, a different IP address, which would right, be another yeah. ball leg. So this is great that this allow. you know, I mean, that's nice that we don't have to worry about that, you know, because new browsers don't have to worry about that. But it's nice that this kind of, I mean, if you're saying it have, it was that quick, that's stupid. Oh, I mean, that's so great. Quick. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to check it out. I might give that a go on my blog and then, yeah, go from there. Yeah. If, if I can get it to work, then just roll it out to the client sites as well. Honestly, it's like it's one pull down, git, and then run one command and then change your your comp file wherever it is. And that, yep. that's it. It's so, <laughs> so painless. Um, I have one last thing. Um, I have started reading... Um, friend of mine give me a copy uh php master by uh lorna mitchell matthew turland and davy shafik and they were like at the php uk conference last year and basically my friend won this book in some sort of raffle and um i think he'd already got a copy of it so he gave me the one he won but uh i started reading it last night and thinking you know is this a good use of time stuff but it was so many things are like I can't believe I didn't know this, and I've been doing this for years. But uh, it's genuinely, uh, it was pretty good read. But it was like there was a couple of stupid things. Like I mean, you guys probably know this, but like I've seen it before. But I probably like in PHP four, like you didn't have like um, private and protected uh, methods, that kind of things. Well, they're uh, all so protected. The reason- were they all public then? I, just, I never. I ne- wow, I never see. I never used PHP four. Yeah, I know. I feel we missed out, but. That's where the uh, kind of um, the idea of underscore underscore then your method name came. I was going to say yeah, because that's how we do it in JavaScript as well. Like because it's all Is accessible it? from it. anyway. Yeah, so yep. you just underscore the private stuff to let the developers know that you probably shouldn't be accessing this. If yeah, if you touch that, this, you're you're gonna yeah. yeah. It's like if you touch this, it's your own fault. I think they do it, yeah. they do it in Python as well. Python like it doesn't have the concept of these like you know private and all that because yeah. it thinks. The developer should be clever enough to know not to tamper with it. Yeah, 
Which is a fair right. enough point, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, like, if, if you're going to play with that, then you know yeah. you're playing with fire. Yeah, give yeah. you ultimate flexibility to do what you want, but have some conventions in place to say that's probably not recommended. But yeah, if you if you want to do it, you know <laughs> you what you're doing play, then. Yeah, knock yourself it. out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And the other things were, um, so you've got, there's some magic methods, underscore, underscore, get. Did you know that? I like, I think oh, I've seen man, it. The but... dyna- yeah, that that's funky, isn't it? Did you, did they give you any good examples? Because it can, you can do some really powerful stuff with it, but you can also make some code that you just have no idea what's going on. Really? No, they they didn't really give any good examples. To be honest, I just I never knew it existed. So um... you know, uh, what is it? It's like the ORMs and stuff. You know, when you get like those fluent builders, um, you'll see. Yeah. Like I know that Ruby did it a lot, and then when PHP got it we kind of added it into our ones and you know where you can do yeah. like where you know like you you know you get like those nice methods where it's like oh where that equals you know like where name equals yeah so it actually builds up so you can actually it j- makes like the method calls you actually can dynamically make those method calls you know it's like where name equals and then ah, right. pass it. Yeah, yeah. and that's how they do it so they're not actually real methods what it's happening is because of it's dynamic and it's because it's it's really what oo is you know the passing of messages He's just yeah, passing yeah. that message name, saying this is the this is the call name, this is the method name you asked for, this is the pr- arguments. Do what you want with it. Uh, cool. And uh, yeah. the other things I was reading in there was like uh, there's a little section about um, service, is it service architecture or something like that. The idea that that websites are changing now, and really you've got like this layer which is just really all about the the logic, and then everything else is kind of separate. I can't think what it's called now. It's SOA? Like SOA. S- yes. Yeah. See, that, that's a weird, because yeah. it's interesting, because that's like the API stuff, isn't it, that you're doing now? Well, you, you were talking about last week with the clear boundaries, and I thought that was really interesting last week where you're saying, like, I think that is, yeah, having these APIs and thinking in APIs specifically yeah. it allows you as, as a developer to kind of, well, it allows, first, it allows you to split up the problem because displaying yeah. the problem and, you know, kind of that front end stuff as opposed to the back end stuff now becomes yeah. a clear division again because yeah. you know i'm i'm giving you this data back in a format that that's the only visual i need to care about and then you deal mm. with it in your own way um and i can see you know people take it to the extremes you know where you know they even their systems even if it's looking even if like maybe what happens is they have this api and that api is then used even the website doesn't use the api it uses the api to interact with everything and i think you were kind of hoping for doing something like that weren't you yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. It makes sense to me now, actually. I, I think that that's a good way of doing things. But the other thing I, I, I spoke to you read about was like this uh, whole like the fluent interface idea, like with these big, long sort of chains of things, like sort of this object calls this method, that's which it. returns another. Object. Yeah, return this. And, you can return this, and then hey, you can build up this fluent interface now. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I, I'm not sure I like that anymore that, because I think it becomes quite confusing, especially if you've got like three or four of those chained methods. When I you said when it, you messaged me that, I was like, "Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you like. I, I like the fact you're yeah. thinking that because a set. When I think of set, you know, set name, I don't yeah. expect it to return anything. That's no, a void exactly. action for me. Like yeah. you're setting yeah. on that thing. That's it. You're not yeah. returning yeah. me anything. Like it's not like a get. A get for me is you're giving me something. This should be set and get then, and then get yeah. object. Like I'm not. Completely I don't agree. know what's going on here. And people do. Yeah. And I, I, I was, you know, you know, villain to this kind of thing where I was like, oh yeah, you know, 
let's just return this. Like, because now I can do these really cool chains. I'm like, set this, 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 this. Yeah. Oh, and then, you know, do this, then do that and stuff. And some people, I mean, I've seen actions um, and probably from my own stuff actually as well. So I can't just say it's other people. It's definitely me as well, where, you know, you do something and then you just return this because you may want to chain two actions together and it looks good. And it's like, no, yeah. then that should be its own method. And it's really bad. Like, yeah, it, it returning this is bad because you're essentially get yeah. I, I I personally completely agree with you that you know with, with these fluent interfaces, um, fluent interfaces are really good for certain things like queries and things like that. And and actually they're mm. good in some regards, you know, for like these nice APIs you want to build. Um, you know, where you have like these clear, you know, clear methods. Um, yeah. And you want to be able to build them up, but typically they like builders and i think we spoke about that didn't we where it's like well build a pattern yeah. is great for this because you know what you want to do is you want to be able to compose and you don't know what the user wants so you this chaining is great for that because it allows you then to be able to kind of build up um and then typically what i found they use is something like with instead of set because it makes sense with this yeah and then return, yeah, yeah. you know and it gives you that kind of even if it's a similar word it just gives you that a with for me with that is likely to return itself with that yeah you know, as opposed yeah, but, to a set, it's going to be like, well, no, that's a void action. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the method should have some description of what it does rather than, I, I don't know, like you say, like set weight, you wouldn't expect that to return something other than maybe a Boolean, you know, just to let you know it, it works or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, was, I think you've got like three or four of these and then suddenly keeping your code loosely coupled becomes a bit of a nightmare i guess well because you're allowing the user that you're allowing the 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 person who's using your code to essentially kind of make yeah try, really kind of lock what the code is how you can change the code as well because because they're able to be so flexible with that code you can't really change it now you can't return you, you can't now just get rid of this you you can't yeah. because they can return this yeah. and and this is the whole object it's not you're returning yeah. like a subset of the object it's not like you're returning the boolean it, you're returning yeah. the whole thing and it really does make refactoring and stuff really hard because you've given them this flexibility you've yeah. essentially given them everything and now you're, you're asking they, yeah you're committed now yeah. to expose everything which is a really horrible thing that that's what i do prefer really make, i mean like so, some cases actually and it was a case like with uh some stuff i was working on last week where um we had this uh, like there, there was a method that needs like it was like we have is it is pending review is pending um is accepted now is pending only needed to be used and really was kind of a help method it was only ever used in the pub in the private where in the in the private sense of that it was used within the class so it was a helper essentially yeah now exposing that yeah great you can expose it because you know it could be useful well no let's just make it private now because it only gets used here and there's no point yeah. in making it like if it doesn't use if when it gets used then we can make it public it's it's cheap making something public after it's been private is really cheap because y yeah. it's it's brand new as opposed to making saying because because if i was to look at that code again in a couple of uh, weeks time or months time i look at that public method go is you know is pending i'd be like that gets used somewhere that must be important when really, yeah. it's just me going, oh, no, I'm being really nice. It's being stingy. I think you need to be very stingy with your code. Like what you expose yeah. and the API you give, be very restrictive on that this is exactly what you get because it makes refactoring and changing it and, and you know, kind of updating it and being able to, you know, amend it and stuff at the end of, uh, like after the fact, much easier. Yeah, completely agree. 
Uh, that's all I had to rant about. Anyway, I'll, uh, I'll stop hugging the mic. But uh, oh. is there any update on Space Beer Cave? Like, yes, Space Beer Cave. Has anybody sent in a? Because I don't have access to the Twitter account anymore. Oh, you don't, um, don't you? Because oh, well, I, the... I reset my Mac and I don't have the the password well, to, to reset it back up. So, uh, have Pete, anyone sent in a score yet? Uh, unfortunately, I, not. I could. I didn't think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's basically yeah, it's a pretty easy competition then. If anybody wants to get involved in it, um, just to, yeah, I might as well put it out there again. But yeah, to reiterate, basically, I put a game out on last week and it got approved into the Apple App Store. So I'm doing a little competition. Um, it's called Space Beer Cave. So anybody by was it the fourth of Feb that we said? I the think it was. Yeah, by, sorry, the fourth of March. So yeah, send in your high scores by the fourth of March, and whoever has the high score, I will send you a three devs and a maybe T-shirt, and it's as simple as that. So you're pretty easy to win because no one's actually sent one in yet. So yeah. <laughs> um, well, well and if not, I'm winning. This is this is the thing. Like, <laughs> okay, I yeah. Will win so now. if you don't, then Ed will win, and he's already got a T-shirt. This so he's is it. Have to so it's being you know greedy. greedy. <laughs> yeah. How you doing though, Fraser? How's how's life treating you? It's going really well, mate. To be honest, yeah. Um, if I've had a, a pretty productive. End of last week and start of this week. Um, it was kind of just reiterate what we were saying about TDD and stuff with Lewis that he brought it up uh, last week. Um, I had this kind of this really scared. Don't you get these projects that when they're briefed to you, you kind of like you start to have a bit of a panic thinking, oh, I don't even want to touch this because it's going to be such a difficult project. Yeah, and you're like, can I do this? Yeah. You get the fear. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, it was completely one of those. Like we had the whole start of the end of the previous week and the start of last week, it was chats with like the director saying, Oh, we need to, we need to change this. So basically the, the industry I work in, we build online betting platforms. So one of our biggest, well, one of our biggest, uh, web apps is it's a online sports book, um, for, for, for like a government market essentially. So the, the, the sports book is owned and operated, owned and operated by a governmental organization, um, so it's basically is it's it's pretty high profile. It gets a lot of traffic and stuff. So there were kind of major changes to the the way the bet slip works, um, and the bet slip for for those who are not initiated, it kind of is kind of it's essentially your shopping cart. So it's the the big part of the application that you can't have go wrong because loads of money will get get lost Ooh, and, yep. and what have you. So it was one of these one of these things. We spent such a long time specking out that it just became such a big black cloud, and it was like. I'm, I'm genuinely scared to start work on this, um, but it was kind of so we, we broke the project down and we kind of we decided what had to be done, um, and it was just kind of like to help the user experience because there was a few a few quirks that weren't really helping helping the the kind of the users flow and people were able to kind of bet in in two separate tabs. So if you had two tabs open on of your browser then you could bet but then you'd get a result coming back from one of your other tabs and all this kind of stuff ah, so there was right, yeah. no compliance issues but it was it was it, it was a bit confusing for the player so we kind of we came up with these changes um and like i say it was one of these things it was it was horrible we spent about a week specking it out like for five, five hours a day having chats and meetings of what we had to do and how we were going to go about it so it was myself and some other developers that sounds intense um, <laughs> oh it really was yeah. yeah the project owner the the md of the company so it, it was quite a, a stressful a stressful time um and then i finally got around to sitting down and doing the work and i was like okay right gonna do it full tdd because it's a it's a, a project that we've had or well, i've been with the business for just over a year now and the, they've had this web app for about three years now uh, all written in backbone um and then when when the web app was first created there was no testing involved and it was just a case of just Get just traditional together. development yeah um so we're now kind of it's, it, it has some a few tests around it now but not very many i think the test coverage on the whole web app is about 20 percent 
Um, so every time we build a new feature or every time we do any refactoring, we're making sure that we add loads more tests so we can get the, the test coverage up. Um, so I kind of sat down and I was like, right, I'm going to do it. Uncle Bob strict TDD style. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so, but this horror, horror project that I thought was going to be horrendous was, it was a breeze. Like it, it's, and it's all because of TDD. If I sat so there cool, and tried man. to do it without putting tests in first, it would have been a horrible thing. But sitting there and writing a test, like writing what you expected, to get out of a function and when you call it and what and all that kind of stuff and then actually sitting there and doing the whole kind of like red green refactor red green refactor this thing that we'd spec out for a week that I, I was convinced was going to take me two weeks to do banged out in like two and a half days and it was it was perfect <laughs> it was, so it went off to qa today um as far as i know it's not going to have any issues but obviously qa are, are the ones that are going to push it to well i think you've got the most confidence that you can because you've seen green as well i mean absolutely it, it's, yeah. you've got a test suite i mean this is the thing as like a developer you know you can be more confident if you've got a test suite behind you yep. that you've you know you've as you say well you've done the, the best job of being i'd say like you've just te- you tdd'd it so yep. you know everything's guided by the test so everything exactly, in, yep. in finish should be test you know tested so that's awesome yep. man but it, it, yeah, it felt really good as well. The whole the whole way along the process, it was kind of like actually this isn't that bad, and to the point where yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. And then it's and like to ship a bit of code off that you're confident. That's it, and you're proud of as well. You're, you're even exactly, proud of the test yeah. suite, aren't you? I, I find mm. I'm actually sometimes more proud of the test suite. I'm like, look at this. Yeah, like and look it's at really that. It's cool well. like, yeah, when you look in your in your in your CI interface, and then you see the kind of like the That's the it. line on the test graph. Yeah, you're like, look like, at that. It's like, don't yeah. worry about the code. Look at that. Yeah, look at this. <laughs> really. So yeah, so that was a, a bit of a major win. Um, so. Another pretty interesting project I'm working on at the moment. We've we've just opened a new a new office up in Newcastle. So for the launch party, we've decided that we're going to do some stuff with um, like eye beacons. So we've got a bunch of Raspberry, raspberry Pis and we've got a load of uh, Bluetooth adapter, Bluetooth dongles attached to these Raspberry Pis. So we're basically doing a a system where everyone who comes to this event is going to be issued an eye beacon. And then we're going to do a lot of kind of like games and and stuff around the eye beacon. So I've I've been working on kind of like a I don't say triangulation, but it's trilateration. So it's basically we we can detect roughly the distance of a beacon from one that one of the detectors, which is a Raspberry Pi. So we've got like a number of these set up around a room, um, and we're gonna well we are we're using uh, socket I/O to basically every time we get a ping from one of these beacons we ping it up to a central server which then kind of works out exactly in the room where somebody is and based on wherever they are in the room we we perform some action or we there's, there's a number of games and stuff that we're doing That's so cool. it kind of like feeds into that so we we know where people are within the room which is really kind of cool so it was i've been writing algorithms for that and then kind of like making making some nice front ends for everything as well so i'm using phaser again as i have done with with the slot game and with space beer cave as well it's a great, great framework. I absolutely love it. Um, so all the the kind of the visualizations are done with that. So we've got lots of animating things and lots of balls and lots of popping and lots of kind of tracking people around and trails of where people have been and all this kind of stuff. So it's been a really, really fun project to work on. Um, and from just, it's just nice to play with new technology, isn't it? And well, yeah. that's, I mean, this is great. Is this actually something that you're going to be releasing? Then the company's going to release, or is it just because of for fun, like for the fact of like this release? Well, it's, it's a bit of both to be honest, because the the company's <laughs> One of the new products that we're looking at, or some, we're looking at doing stuff with eye beacons, essentially, um, in terms of tracking. Um, and uh, so, an eye beacon. What is an eye beacon then? So that is something that I is beacon, a Bluetooth. It, yeah, it's basically like a Bluetooth 
a little Bluetooth dongly thing that's kind of like, you know when you, you can detect a, a Bluetooth mouse or you can detect a Bluetooth set of headphones or something. It's mm. literally just the thing that says, oh, here I am. And it's, it's kind of like, the, I don't actually know tech, technically what it is, but... As long as you can play with the API, it, that's all that exactly, matters. That's yeah, it. Once you've got a high-level software API, with, uh, I love it. Yeah, with the, the Raspberry Pis, and then you can work out where someone is. And it's really kind of cool. Um, so that's, that's been a hell of a, hell of, uh, a hell of a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And last time we spoke, you mentioned as well about, um, the error locking oh, for the yeah, front end. JS. Yeah. So I, I had a, well, I sent an email around to the web app team. Um, and we basically uh, kind of said that I'd been speaking to you and we'd, we'd discuss it and you'd really recommended it. So I had a look at it. So I don't think we're going to go with TrackJS, um, but I think we're going to roll our own something because just the, the concept of actually being able to track I your think, errors and, yeah, and get real. Yeah, I think you have something. I think you're definitely yep. worthwhile. I mean, you know, exactly. I, I think the nice thing about having your own one is that you can be very personal on what it is, you know, where you're yeah. able to, specifically if it's like a gaming, uh, you know, appliance like that where you know the intricacy intricacy oh, the intricacy i'm not even going to bother saying that word. intricacy that's the one uh, <laughs> yep, uh is, you know with that is that it's going to be quite you know in depth and things so having your own one where you know you can log certain aspects of it yep. and stuff is is a good idea but I'll yeah logging in general and, yeah, is a great I, idea yeah i don't think we're going to go down the route of having like a whole a whole interface to actually see what's been going on but i think just logging everything to a text file so that if any any kind of queries come to us through the the, the customer we can see what's happened on the That's front it. end what's you can on actually the back pinpoint end. we're logging everything on the back end so yeah it'll be nice to pair everything up and, and see if there were any errors or or what have you so yeah that's definitely something we're going to be rolling out sometime in the next in the next couple of weeks i think that's awesome and like it's, with, with yeah. the with the testing well with this like new feature that you made like were you pairing or was this on your own like solo uh, we we'd actually intended to pair because we've got two we've got two web apps for two different government governmental organizations anyway so they're, they're different countries that they're, they're not in the uk like one's in north america and one's one's in on mainland europe but they they run a similar a similar bit of software to each other um so the idea was myself and the guy that works on the the kind of the sister bit of software from because i work on the north american one he works on the european one um so we were going to sit and pair and, and and do that but he had a lot of other stuff to do anyway so i I cracked on so i'm going to sit with him tomorrow he's but he was out of the office today so i'll be sitting with him tomorrow and kind of pairing with him and and, and showing him what i've done so that we can implement that into his his web app as that's well cool. which is cool yeah that's, that's not really and like and with because i think with tdd for me it's the first test that's the hardest um how how do you find with that? Like, are you are you good at because I find that I'm very much like I don't know where my test should be. Should it be a high level test of being like this is how I want the whole thing to be? Should it be a very specific test? Like, should like you know I I don't know. Like, how do how do you roll with that? Yeah, I generally do it like quite specific. Like, not not very, not too high level because it, it's not a case of. I know I, I generally just put a test on every single function that I write. I will write a test for. So I'm trying to keep my functions as small and as kind of do one thing as possible um so you chuck a value into a function or you chuck a couple of values into a function and you expect something back and that's basically how how i'm working with it um so i'm not kind of testing the whole end result um but yeah the individual parts are, are all all very kind of yeah very robustly covered i like that i think i think it's fun because it, it it's really hard but I, I do find i think maybe overthink sometimes and where i should be like maybe i think oh maybe i should have an over end you know overarching test first you know yeah. and then i go in and I've, I've done it that way and i've gone you know kind of it's like i i start off on the kind of a bit more 
around it the boundary right yeah and then i do more in depth then i start okay it going outwards and then i'm yeah i dive in and go outwards and then i've got ones where i literally just say no i'm not doing outwards i'm going straight in and then yep. building outwards that way and i don't know I, I still play with either way like for me i mean look tdd on, on its own is great like being able to do it but yep. it's, it's there's so many bits in part of, you know in, in it and yeah it's great the refactoring i, I think that's the to me that's the win yep. right because it allows you you know you read fail test doesn't pass pass it do anything you know break any rule you want as long as it passes boom refactor remove duplication etc like that make it better yeah that's fantastic yeah it's it's a great thing mickey are you are you spending some time this week you say kind of hopefully looking at some yeah yeah you guys are all making me feel guilty but yeah i was (laughs) gonna say i think fraser now has the coolest job out of all was it just i know he's playing with raspberry pies and bit like these i just really love it yeah that was good i am having a good time it's it's fantastic yeah oh it's good i'm happy for you man but um yeah no to be honest with you just uh just looking i because like laravel has obviously got its uh obviously it's layer on top of php unit lots of um tools for that so yeah i will be this week looking at that to be honest with you it's just uh uh usual kind of thing like clients pushing for um certain things and well this is the put- clients don't think a test they they assume that your code is going to work like their their answer their well their their response to you saying i need to test this is like well surely you're already testing it like yeah. and it well, doesn't yeah, quite exactly. work that way like software isn't exactly that way you know they look at features yeah. as a success they won't see a test suite as a success whereas yeah. we would be like that's awesome you've got a test suite this is this is the best thing ever yeah. this is a win yeah. because now you know we've got this more you know confidence in our tests that we yeah. go home knowing look well it's passing all the tests and i, I and the thing is i find is you know it's like oh if we find a fail if we if we find something that fails in production we fix the bug. We write another test for it. That will never fail again. Like for me, yeah. that's a great win. Like being able to have this confidence again that you've got a test yeah. with the passes. As you're speaking yeah. about PHP Unit, um, there was a blog post that was released last week from uh, Sebastian Bergman, the guy who made PHP Unit. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. it really. Uh, did you read it? I did, but as soon as you mentioned the name, I was like, "That yeah, he's yeah, the guy." Yeah, that made guy. It, yeah. yeah. So it's it's, it's it's called questioning PHP Unit best practices, and um, it's quite a funny yeah. one actually because I don't know, I haven't used any exception based kind of assertions in any JavaScript stuff, so I can't really comment on that. But this kind of, I do feel this happens also. I don't know in the J Unit world as well, like with Java, because so essentially what happens is that you when you want to, so you've got your your range, um, a range act assert. So you arrange your stuff, you know, you've got your, you build up, you know, your environment, essentially what you want, you know, then you act, you do the action that you want, and then you assert to see, did it do what you expect it to do? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, like maybe you have like arrange this object, this service, call this service, act on it, then assert. So say in the case that this service, maybe I provide it with invalid input or something, and it needs to throw an invalid argument exception. What what typically happens is like in the old like in the old old days, uh, and I've I actually never used PHP Unit two, but like what happened was it was like a range you acted, you actually would do the try catch. If it ca- if it caught, you would do a return. Else, it would do an, the assert would be a fail, saying that we expected this exception. So it was a bit of a hack where essentially you're kind of using the try catch and re- in short circuiting because you wanted to say, look, we want this exception. Then what happened is, and this is the way I kind of started using it, they made this the doc types. Like, doc blocks as code is a massive topic in itself. Like, a lot of, like, you see it in a lot of frameworks and a lot of web frameworks typically do it where, you know, they have the code, like, documents, comment, comments as code, essentially. 
because you know you have like at root and at method and things like that and the dot comments the dot blocks become like rewritten by the parser into code which is a bit i i don't agree with like i think some cases things like when you're in the delivery of things such as like symphony and things like that with delivery platform yeah that's fine you know maybe like being able to just instead of having code for it you know it just says oh this is the method this is the root and things but one of the ones that i did use and, and kind of you kind of end up having to use in php unit there was another way but wasn't the best like was using expected exception and it would actually be at the dot block level so you do which is really weird you do it would be a dot block on the test saying at expected i expect you know invalid argument then you do the arrange and act which is a bit weird because you you the common pattern and i'm sure you know this phrase like when you're playing you know when you're doing it is that you know it's arrange act assert and you expect it in that order as opposed yep. to having an assert in the dot block just seems a bit weird so that kind of became the norm um, but finally, what's happened is that it's funny that like he's admitted that that wasn't the best way. And it's really interesting kind of like <laughs> going through this thing is, you know, yeah, people make mistakes. Like, you know, these APIs that we use, these projects we use on a day to day basis, some people make mistakes and, like you know, they decide on one way. And then a couple of years later, they realize actually that wasn't the right way. Um, yeah. So, you know, what's happened now is there's a new best practice in essence is called expect exception and essentially it is just doing it the old way well no it's not doing the old way but it's doing it in that what you do and you could do this with the old set expected exception which is what was actually underlining the ex- the expected exception dot block but what you do is you do your arrange you do your assert and then you do your act and it it's it's stopping it's essentially removing the dot block comment as you know the comment as code issue which i am more in favor of to be honest i think having it like in the code makes more sense than having it outside in the dot block because i don't know i don't know but what do you guys feel about that like dot blocks these comments as code i don't know you could you see i suppose you do you see it much in the java uh, script world like i know annotations and things i don't know if you do like with annotations like i know in angular they do annotations and stuff but i don't know whether like I mean, I know. What would you feel, Pete? Um, like in PHP, Mickey? Like, kind of, do you like and and even Java actually? Like the that kind of dot blocks as code. Um. Yeah, I I don't have any a problem with it. To be honest with you, I quite like it. I think it's helps explain. I guess. See, I I'm really against it. <laughs> like, I think <laughs> for, for for me, like the trouble is is if you make a code like the trouble is and you'll find this like in a lot of java things where it just became that the comments like it's like xml config options like it's great to have that option but then these configs just became like masses a big ball of mud that then is like essentially you should just write into code like you want that to be code instead which then can have the benefits of code which can be you know syntax highlighted and you know it's kind of like the understanding of this is can i compile this code essentially whereas with annotations and things like that you kind of get it's a hidden level because it's abstracting on top and it's just making this comment which any comment you typically think of isn't code like it doesn't matter what i write in a comment as long as it's a comment it can be plain english it could be a bit of code it could be anything where what you're then doing is you're kind of making that now a kind of design language primitive you're saying that that now becomes magic and that to mm-hmm. me annoys me a bit. And I mean, this is the trouble with using these these dot blocks and things. Like, you know, I, again, I probably should be saying, well, then I should start. You, you know, like I, I've I've said, like you know, in delivery, it's fine. And and I do believe that's okay. But I think with things like this, like I'm I'm fully you know with the fact of like saying you know making it expect exception and it being within it instead of having it as a dot block. I think there's some big wins though. I mean, like for example, like I was using the. Um, 
I don't know what, it, what I, API doc thing that just ultimately generate my API documentation. Yeah, see, I, that I'm, I'm okay with actually. Like that to okay. me, like the dot blocks like that is fine. Like having like the returns, like you know, you say like this is my parameters, this is my return yeah. type, and things like that. That I I do think is good because that's not code really. I think it's yeah, like when it yeah. gets into like oh at and then you know some magic. Like at I'm inject this yeah, and stuff. Yeah. It's like at inject because yeah. you see that in Java. You're like, oh, at, at inject this. And you're like, what the hell does this yeah. mean? Like, what is this doing? And, and it takes yeah. you, you end up having to, it's almost like it's got a pre-process where you have to pre-process that code, like, and then look at the intermediary before it gets run, which is then the actual stuff. So, yeah, 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 it's a yeah. bit weird. Anyway, that's a rant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my rant over there. Um, but other than that, um i don't actually you know what i don't actually have any picks or anything this week other than that, that really? that's my only one i am yeah pretty much no hot picks no, no hot picks we haven't got hot picks yeah have you got a sound effect for that or oh, sound effects are gone now right? I, yeah, there's no sound effects wow. today i thought we were yeah. gonna have an episode where we wouldn't think about sound effects you know was that because <laughs> of the was that the cause of the robo situation we, that may have been the issue i may you know it was my fault what i tried to bring sound drops in and it didn't work well it did work it's just i decided well i did i played with the configuration the settings before the podcast i just started recording and then it wasn't only until the day after when i started so oh, okay i'm gonna just like, edit this and i realized why am i echoey i went oh dear yeah <laughs> whoopsie well i'll let you off and that is a true story but i can't even do true story bro that would have been an epic sound drop right uh, there yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have been perfect it would have been perfect oh dear. But have you any of you guys got anything else to say for like this episode i think it's, we're almost actually coming up to the hour mark we are yeah and we may be able to do we may do it we may do the 60 well we probably won't do a 61 minute episode no, we'll be five minutes short no. unless we. That's going to bring fill. the average down. But yeah, if we keep doing slightly short ones, then maybe it will bring the average down to sixty, which could be a bit. <laughs> That'd be good. Up. Sixty minutes. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. No, I think we. I think we'll call it an episode. Yeah, that sounds yeah, great. Sounds All right, guys, well, it's been awesome. Perfect. This is this is rolling. Yeah. You know, we're rolling now. We've done like an episode on Thursday, episode Monday, on fire, on yeah. fire, absolutely. Well, it's been great talking to you guys and uh, audience. Thank yeah. you for listening to us ramble on and my ramblings and my yeah disagreements. And uh, yeah, we'll speak to you next week. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Take it easy. See ya. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three devs and a maybe.